speed up, but look on the ASA. My gosh, they're all going against the wind. It was basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Support for that UFO podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive listener offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free worldwide shipping with promo code ANDYUFO. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce any close encounters thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my Tic Tacs. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ANDYUFO at manscaped.com. This is James Fox and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. I, that's probably a nice way to segue into the listener questions, Deborah, because you've brought something up and my co-host, Dan, who, um, I was talking to him about speaking to you and any questions he wanted me to bring up. And you've mentioned, you know, potentially if more people were in touch or in tune with these abilities, how would it change society for the good or for the better? Now, Elon Musk, um, he wants to bring out Neuralink, which is a way for us to all it's a chip in your brain and it's going to connect us all and you know you have access to information and sharing and do you think technology is a kind of bridge between us getting to that stage or would that potentially be harmful in people accessing these types of abilities wow well i'd like to learn more about his idea with that chip i that doesn't sound like something I would ever want to do. You know, there. Me neither. No. You know, the problem is with. Okay, it's just like anything that has volume. Like your TV is a really cool thing and you like to watch your TV, but sometimes the sound gets turned up t- way too loud. It's annoying. It is distracting. And, you know, you're just like, turn this off. Same thing with our music, a- anything we can listen to. And that is really true with telepathy as well. And there are some people, um, and even moments with myself, I've had 
there, there's different levels of telepathy. And, and telepathy, again, is like mind-to-mind communication, though the minds might be between two humans, or it could be with a spirit and a human or an alien. I've had, I have had what I am pretty sure is alien um, communications. And those are sometimes like the, the clearest and the, the loudest. Um, but every once in a while, I've had some communications that were, they were of a quality that were so clear and loud. Um, I would not want those going through my head at that volume every moment. And it's been interesting to me because, okay, I had this guy who was contacting me and he he was in India and he was saying that there was another man that he had worked with for a short time who was like psychically attacking him and wouldn't leave him alone and could I somehow help. Now when I get an email like that, I have to I have to not make any conclusions. This could be someone, you know, with a mental illness, with schizophrenia, it may be a psychic problem, it might be a combination. So I didn't know. So I I said I would look into it and then get back to him. So I did, I'm trying to remember how I think I just started to, I was about to do a reading for him where I was going to sit down and tune in and try to see what happened. And as I was tuning in, I started to hear this conversation and it was so loud. It was like how we're talking, but inside my head. And I, and that I was glad I had that because I had never heard anything so loud and so clear. And I thought, oh my God, this is what he's experiencing. You know, so I knew at that point, even I didn't know why he was experiencing it. I had to do, you know, more further looking into it. But on when communication is that loud, if it was ongoing and we we couldn't stop it. And I do believe some people suffer from from that that extent. Um it, it would just not be something people would want to experience. But what I've found is that usually when I do get that that um, loud, uh, um, it doesn't last that long. And really by ignoring it, that's a thing. So I would say, because I'm sure some of your listeners have had this or, or will have it, like especially when we're about to go to sleep, we're laying in bed, we're, we're in an in-between state. That's the state that will oftentimes most likely get spontaneous communications. And so if you don't want the communications, just saying to whoever, whatever is around. And sometimes I think we're just picking up on almost like radio signals. It's not even directed to us. We're just tapping into something. Um, Like in that case, I didn't feel like there was an entity uh, connected to the man. Uh, It it was, um, I don't, remember exactly what I found, what it was, but I I didn't have the sense that something was attacking me, but that I was just plugging into something that he was experiencing um, between him and this other person. But, um, But just when you hear it to just say like, hey, you know, if something is here right now, I have no interest in communicating with you. I don't wish to engage shut up, go away. And then just to both, and, and I'll even visualize, I'll be like, okay, we're, if there was something around me, like, is it to my right or my left? And then I'll visualize it just like moving out of my house. And then I won't listen anymore. I'll, I'll start thinking about something else or go do some, listen to a podcast or something, but just, you know, don't give, 
don't give it any attention. So that's how, or there's like a technique where you can see a dial and turn the dial down and, and that will sometimes help too. So getting back to your, your question, I know I go off on detentions, but, um, but yeah, you know, I would not want something inside my, my head, just like I wouldn't want like someone else to control my TV set to decide, you know, what volume or what channel I'm going to be watching. However, I, you know, I would say the, the thing with our intuition is we're not always in control of who's around us and who's louder than other people. And, and some people are like, there are, I have friends that are healers and I can feel certain ones even if I don't want to, again, if they're thinking of me, I will become aware of them. If they're, if they're really trying to get in touch, I'll almost start to like find myself obsessing about them or feeling them physically. And some people just are like louder broadcasters than others, maybe through thought or through their body energy. And so we, we contend with this all the time around us. Again, most people just, you know, aren't aware of it, but yeah, no to telepathic chips in our heads. Now, to stick on that same theme, uh, Michael had a question and he wants to know, what is it like to witness someone who is remotely viewing your environment? I've heard remote viewers say, they see me, they see me. So what does that look like for either party? Yes, well, there's lots of debates within the remote viewing community and forums about whether or not you can tell if someone's remote viewing you. And a lot of people think like, will say, no, you can't really tell or others can't see you. However, I know personally, that's not true. I've had a few occasions, my, my very first remote viewing instructor, Mike Vanetta, who is no longer alive, Um, But at the time, he was very much alive. I didn't know him. I didn't know what he looked like. I barely even knew his name. I was invited by a couple people to go to a training and they were paying for my training. So I was just going to show up. And I would say about a week before I was lying in bed and suddenly a man's face like materialized in, it was still with my eyes closed, but the vision of it was as if he were like standing right there. I saw his face and at first I was startled like, oh my gosh, who is this? And then immediately I had the thought, this is going to be my instructor in a week. And so I went to the training and on our last day, he was driving us back to the airport. And I said, were you remote viewing me a week ago? Because I saw you because it it was him. It was exactly the, the, his face. And he, he was shocked he got really, his whole face turned red. He was embarrassed. And he said, I didn't, I was really under the belief that people couldn't see you when you're remote viewing. And yes, I was, he said, you know, I felt justified in doing it because you were coming to my house. Cause we, there were just like five of us and we were going to sleep at their house. So he said, you know, I really needed to check out to see, you know, what you were all about. This was a while ago now, like maybe 10 years ago or so. So yeah, so I can I can see when people are tuning. In fact, I don't know who this was, but maybe about 6 months ago, I I was just lying there and again, I saw 
first I had this image of like a guy in my kitchen. It was like a silhouette, but he was in my kitchen. And then I saw another guy. Uh, I saw two other ones and I was like really startled. Like who, why would there be people here? And then I realized they were remote viewers. Now I didn't get confirmation about that. So I can't say for sure I was correct, but um, they, it was, it was kind of funny because the one in my kitchen just seemed to be like looking around trying to like see the location and like he couldn't find me. I was like, Hey dude, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to find me here. I'm not in the kitchen. <laughs> so it's funny. It's good you've got a sense of humor with it as well that you, you you're accepting of it and obviously you you understand what's happening. Um, on that, Matt has a question. Um, are there any remote viewing sessions which have affected you negatively the most, and how do you come to terms with visions or sessions that are negative or frightening? Yes. Well, what what overall bothers me is when. The thing is, when you don't even know what you're dealing with with a target number, again, if someone's just giving you a number, then you, um, my biggest issue is I don't know if I've described them enough, I've described the target enough and given them what they want. And so I'll, I'll do like a three hour session, put it aside, go to sleep, and then I'll be, kind of obsessing about, did I get enough? And then I'll want to keep tuning in and not like, I, I I try to set boundaries with myself, but I'll violate those. And then I'll just kind of be like a meshed with the target for, until I find out what it was. So that's not a healthy way to do things. I know it. And, and so that is probably what creates more problems. So if I know that I really don't have a lot of energy in my life or I'm so busy with other things, I might turn down like offers for targets because I know how I get with something like that. But to more directly, um, I think what the person was wondering about, like more specific dramatic examples, I did have a case where I, I wasn't told this, but it turned out to be um, quite a highly publicized murder that took place in Virginia of a, a girl that disappeared and they wanted to know investigators wanted to know um, where she was and what had happened. And so I picked up right away. I, I did see a, um, a teenager being um, attacked. And now what I do is if I have a target where it, I, I start to realize, oh, this is like a murder case or some kind of attack, um, usually I, I know from experience that the the manager who assigned it isn't really wanting us to describe what happened in the attack, they're more often going to want to know like, where's the body or where's the person. So I will back away from that. I'm not going to, you know, let myself experience the whole attack, but it's kind of like, uh, I'll have to keep moving away from it. Cause I'll go back to it. I'll be like, maybe I say, okay, I'm not going to go there. I'm just, now I know someone was attacked and let's go try to find out the location, but then maybe five minutes later, I'll be drawn back to the attack and I have to draw away again. So I had one. So in this particular one with the girl, um, I, when I said, let me like go to where her body is, I saw like body parts scattered. Like I saw little pieces of flesh and I saw birds eating the flesh. 
So when I saw that, that I, you know, I have to say, like, I had mixed feelings on the one hand, that's really disturbing and, and rather gross and upsetting. But I, I also had the feelings like a little bit of like happiness that I had, I, I knew without any doubt that, and I don't want to say it was happiness for that. I was sad to know that she was dead. Um, but I was happy as a remote viewer that I had a clear picture that she was dead because there's no way. And this is a thing like when we're observing something, just like any other observations, if you're walking down the street and you see a person lying on the ground, do you know if they're sleeping, dead, lying there, drunk, intoxicated, injured? You don't know that until you go closer and you, you know, feel the heartbeat. And even then you, I mean, how many people are passed off for dead and it turns out they're alive. So this is even harder to discern from your psychic abilities. But if you're, if you see a body parts all over, you know that, that they're dead. So you're no longer looking for a living person. So the interesting thing about that target was it turned out that the way authorities found her was because neighbors saw all these birds converging in someone's backyard at an abandoned house. So it turned out that her body was lying out on the ground and it had been um, in different pieces and the birds were eating the bodies. And that was the way that authorities were notified about it. And that was my exact image in the session. So that, that was disturbing, but I also, I have to say I did, have a degree of separation. So it wasn't like, you know, probably if I had just walked upon, uh, not probably, absolutely, if I had actually walked upon a scene like that in real life, I would be so horrified and I'd still be traumatized. But it is something that stays with you. And a couple of times I've brought this up to my husband when we were like, we were out traveling somewhere and I saw a, and I saw a landscape that looked like just like I had seen in that setting where the body was. And I explained it to him. And he he's someone who watches gory movies all the time. But he was like, you know, I don't want to hear about this. This is way too, you know, you need to just get over that. I don't want to hear about it anymore. So, you know, it's, it's things like that, I would say crime cases that are are the most, most disturbing for sure. Now, I also was assigned 9-11 to, to tune into um, what happened on September 11th with the um, the explosion of the Twin Towers. And again, I didn't know that was the target. I just got a target number. And for that, it was very weird because I was getting pl- like airplanes um, involved flying over a city. And then the next thing I got was people in a stairwell trying to get out of it. And And for that, I had such a realistic view of people being trapped in a stairwell and and they couldn't get down further. And the weird thing was at that moment when I saw them trapped, I went totally unconscious. Like I fell asleep, like I lost consciousness and maybe like came to like 20 minutes later. And I, and then later, and I wasn't even aware at that time that I was looking at 9-11. I just knew that there was some kind of tragedy in a building with people stuck in the stairwell. So I, I've always wondered, like, why, 
at that moment when it was so intense, something had to be going on that actually just knocked me out of consciousness because that was would have been one of the moments where I would have wanted to stay awake in a session. But I, I do really believe that we have a protective mechanism within ourselves that will shut things down if, you know, if it's going to be too traumatic to witness. That's a really, really good answer. Thank you for that. Um, Melanie has a question and you made a comment previously, Deborah, and I was definitely going to come back to it. So any listeners who were shouting or screaming at the podcast at the time, I am bringing it back up. You mentioned um, alien communications being some of the clearest you've received. Now, Melanie is asking, um, are you familiar? I, I mentioned him before of Dr. Simeon Hine. Yes, I've, I know him quite well. I've yeah, cool. I, I, yeah, I thought you might have. Um, and she wants to know, like, People like Dr. Simeon Hine have, or Sim, I just call him Sim as well, like, a, not, I'm not best mates, but I've spoke to him a few times. Um, he has said before that aliens are here and all around us. Now, is that a concept that you would also subscribe to? And just talk a little on the, the alien communication side of things that you've had previously. Sure. Yes, they are. I, I don't know if they are physically right there, but they are absolutely on a consciousness level right there. And I say that with such high confidence because I've had them appear to me when I least expected it. I was like not doing anything that had to do with aliens. Um, in fact, for many, many years, I like the whole topic just totally terrified me. So I could not even, I, I would not read a book on aliens or UFOs. If I saw them in the bookstore, I just didn't even look at the book covers. I just walked away. But the very first time I became aware of one, I was doing a reading for somebody and it was just on like some childhood problems he had. And suddenly something switched and I had this image and I thought I was like looking at some weird kind of furniture. Like I was like, oh, it seems like suddenly I have this vision of this like outdoor furniture in a shape I've never seen before. I don't know what this has to do with what we we're talking about. And then suddenly it switched in like this full blown image of like a gray alien was suddenly like right there. It, it would be like if you were watching TV how, you know, you're just watching a show. And if the actors turned to you, like they turned their head and looked at you and said, Hey, Andrew, you know, Hey, I'm right here. So it's like your TV talking to you, but it was at my clairvoyant image. And, and, and it was this very menacing, like I immediately felt like I do not like this guy. He was a gray menacing eyes. And, and he just said like telepathically, like, get out of here. You're not supposed to be here. And so that was my first. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but I don't need to push this. Let's just end our whole session here. We were, I was almost done with my client anyway. So we just ended things. And then my second time that happened, I, I had been living in the Philippines and I, um, was actually pregnant at the time and didn't know it yet. I was just like maybe 
four weeks pregnant, we were in this, um, my, my son's father was an acupuncturist and we were traveling to these remote regions to heal people who didn't have access to medical care. And we spent the night in one of his clients, empty homes in the mountains. And I would say, um, I went to sleep, not feeling too well. And I woke up in the middle of the night and there were like five gray alien faces just like right there. And and I couldn't tell if they were physically there or if I was seeing them clairvoyantly. But I know at that point I was awake. I was not having a dream. And I scream and then um, and then kind of sh- consciousness shifted or something. And well, Manuel jumped up, put lit a match or whatever. We didn't have electricity, went back to sleep and had that same experience again. Um, So those were a couple early ones, but I'll just share most recently. So we were moving to a new house. I now live in Mapleton, Oregon, and we were moving to a new house. And one of my students who has like just crazy accurate dreams of the future, she wrote to me saying that she saw this alien standing outside my house, but it was a different house. She didn't know I was moving. She said, it's not because I used to live in the desert in California. And she said, it's not your desert house, but I just had a dream of you at a different house. And there's this big light uh, outside the garage. And I see this giant alien just like standing under the light, staring towards the house. And so she had that dream. And about two days later, my friend Nancy Smith, who's a longtime remote viewer and project manager, she wrote to me and she said that she was meditating and suddenly she was transported to my new house and saw an alien standing outside my garage under this big light. So she had the exact same image as my student did in the dream. And then I started having... Um, same dream. So there was like enough correspondence and we do, the house we moved to has a detached garage with this huge, crazy light that's just uh, up in the, we live like in wilderness, but there's this one light above the garage. So, you know, it's uh, for me again, like if someone just has a dream about an alien at my house, like not going to put too much credence to it. But when you start to get multiple correspondences from people who've never even met each other, that's when you have to say, okay, something, something is up here. No, thank you for that one. Uh, Next question from Derek. He wants to know, have you ever remote viewed any of the planets in the solar system? Um, Typically, just before a NASA rover landing, for example, he remembers reading that Ingo Swan had been remote viewing planets and described them before we even managed to get probes or landers near them. Yes, well, I'm glad he asked that question, and that also segues into the International Remote Viewing Conference that's going to be coming up, um, which people can find that out about on irva.org, irva.org. And so Tom McNear is one of Ingo's first students, and he was trained. Ingo had developed a training program, but it was always in a process of development with different stages. And his training was called controlled remote viewing. And so this was going back in, into the 19, like 1983 or so. Tom McNair was his longest time student and just had so many incredibly great, he, he would just name the target, like very obscure targets. And 
just did so well. And and he was an intelligence officer in the U.S. military up until just a couple years ago. Well, Tom was one of the um, people who was tasked with with viewing Mars. And so Ingo did a session on Mars and then Tom did and had some very interesting experiences. And then a a few years ago, I heard Tom talking that he was looking for other people to tune into Mars to see what they got. So I decided for myself, I would do that. So I knew I was looking at Mars. However, my students and some other past students that are now very accomplished remote viewers, uh, I, I assigned it to them and didn't tell them it was Mars. So I just gave them a target number. And so then I put everything together in a report and sent it to Tom. And Tom was really blown away by what the students got and all of, and he put this all into a report and a presentation. So he's going to be doing that presentation at the IRVA conference on Mars. And so that is something that um, um, I've seen part of his presentation before, and it's really excellent and interesting. And for those that aren't able to make it to Rhinebeck, New York at, at the Omega Center on September 9th through 12th, there will be an online conference. It's 90, or there, there'll be a live stream of all the talks, and that will be for $99 for anyone who wants to do the whole weekend live stream. Um, so what I will say is that it seemed like overall um, there was definitely life on that. The, there were people that had come to Mars and seemed to be stuck there. There were definitely um, consciousnesses and intelligences that were there. Um, and it seemed like the overall consensus was that um, people, whether they were people, were, were, we weren't positive, if, but it seemed like they were human, but that they had somehow been left behind. That was, I would say, like the biggest thing that that stood out about it. Um, in terms of the other Great question, planet, and I was going to bring up the just on that, Deborah, I was going to bring up the IRVA uh, from the September 9th to the 12th. And again, the links for that will be in the description, folks. And and like Deborah says, there will be options for virtual passes for those who aren't living in the immediate area or who can't travel. But it is nice to get back to these things face to face as well, because it does add to the experience. But $99, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about how much people are charging for some of these things. I think most will agree it's a pretty reasonable option for, for a few days of one of these events as well. So again, all those uh, all that information will be in the links. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say at these conferences, like a lot of times we're practicing remote viewing, like we'll be doing an outbounder target where someone will go actually go to a location. And then as a group, we'll all describe what it, where it is they are and, and what they're doing. And we're also going to have an evening event where we do different remote viewing games and contests where people split into groups and have targets and have to, the, each group has to describe the target faster and better than the other groups. So we do fun activities. And for me, I'm a conference junkie, even though they do definitely get expensive and, you know, you have to save for a while sometimes for, for them, but that's where you meet people that then like, for me, I, I don't really do well just just practicing on my own. I like to be part of groups 
and and have actual reasons to have to practice. And so I've met so many incredible people at the International Remote Viewing Association Conference. And um, I'm also part of another group that um, focuses more on what we were talking about before my book on associative remote viewing and predicting outcomes for sports and finances. So um, there's an organization called the Applied Precognition Project, and they they also have conferences and a lot going on there. There, but they're again like not just about any topic. They're very more specific about doing remote viewing for those purposes. But um, I would just say that anyone who's interested in these topics, like there's, you know, different remote viewing forums, like Facebook groups, there's a, a large Reddit, subreddit group of remote viewers of over 45,000 people. Although you'll, if you want to re- really like learn from people who have been doing this for a long time, I would say, look on Facebook, the the remote viewing groups, like there's one group that's 10,000 people. Another group, Daz Smith runs a group that's um, 5,000 people. And that's where you're going to get like, like Paul Smith, he's one of the former military remote viewers. He's oftentimes on the forums, just there, there's so Lynn Buchanan's on the forums, just so many uh, people that are just obsessed with remote viewing and doing it all the time and doing like really interesting projects, they will all communicate together. And that's where you could really learn about uh, sometimes people are having new projects that they're looking for people to join in on. So I know that this training can get expensive. I offer classes through the international remote or through the, I can't even remember my own organization name for the, um, what is wrong with me? My own clairvoyant school. I'm always promoting Irva. So now I'm forgetting my own school name, International School of Clairvoyance. And I have a remote viewing class starting in October for 12 weeks. And, you know, the reason why these classes are more expensive is because it, it, it takes a lot of time to work individually with students, like even though you're in a group, you're communicating with students in, in between the classes. Um, you're, you can only teach so many classes a week. And especially with remote viewing, it's really labor intensive because, you know, it's like grading papers. You've got to see, see all the written work and, and um, be just in constant communication with your students. So that is why training is ex- expensive, but I don't want anyone to think that they need to you know, have to pay for expensive training. There's books, there's video, there, there's, you know, options like the live streaming for the upcoming IRVA conference. So there's so many ways to get training in these areas if if you want to. What I find oftentimes is most lacking is not money, but is, is in um, discipline and is in people um, willing to put in the time. You know, so there there are very accomplished remote viewers. Like I mentioned, Daz Smith, um, he runs crypto viewing right now, and he's got some really big remote viewing websites and also UFO websites. And he's basically self-taught. Like he might have gone to like I think he went to a three-day workshop like two decades ago, but he trained himself, and he trained himself by just going out and talking to everybody who does this and then, and practicing, he's done like 
like thousands of remote viewing sessions. So that's the thing. If anybody really wants to learn this, they can, but they've got to practice. And that's what's oftentimes lacking. You know, it's easy to talk about this. It's these topics. It's a lot harder to just actually get yourself to be disciplined, sit down and practice. And on that note, I also, I have a set of practice targets available to the public. If you go to remote viewing, .net. RemoteViewing.net, you're going to find all sorts of practice targets. So you can just like sit down with a piece of paper, um, choose one, you'll see a target number, like it'll say location number one, or object number one. And then you can just see what you get, put it down on paper. Remember, always sketch, and then you can go back and look at your feedback. If you do 10 of those, you're going to, you're going to train yourself you're going to learn what worked, what didn't work. So practice is the key. And that's the thing that even in my classes, like I might have 10 students and four of them will practice and they'll get through the 12 weeks and just be totally amazed at their progress. The other students, maybe they didn't practice and you know they, they don't get anywhere. No one can do that for a person. They have to do it for themselves. And I'll make sure all those links again are in the description. I've been taking note of them as Deborah's mentioned them as well. So I've, I think I've managed to keep up, Deborah. Listen, we'll leave the listener questions there. Deborah is going to stay with me for a little bit more time. And over on the Patreon and Apple Premium subscriptions, there'll be a little bit of bonus content with just a few more listener questions as well. But Deborah, Deborah we're going to leave it here for this portion of the show. Um, so how can people follow you? And obviously you've discussed your work there as well. Um, how can they get in touch? Yes, I would say the best way is to check out my website, Deborah Katz, D E B R A K A T Z dot com. Excellent. And remember that book is available now through Amazon and other book publishers. That's Associative Remote Viewing, the Art and Science of Predicting Outcomes for Sports, Politics, Finances, and the Lottery. Good speaking with you, Deborah. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fork. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little bit. Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. Out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything.
everything was weird and everything was red. I helped out my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And they think I should take care of me. And I don't know what it is because it doesn't really scare me.